Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Candace and Jamal. You're the Clippers. You running away from the Suns? You don't want to play them in that first round, do you? No, you do not want to play them in the first round. You don't. But I don't. I wouldn't want to play the Clippers in the first round. If I'm the Suns, I don't want to play the Clippers in the first round. All right, now that's a clip from the NBA on TNT crew from Tuesday. That's Shaq, Jamal Crawford, Candace Parker. Um, we, unfortunately, we're going to recreate the conversation that happened at halftime of last night's game. The conversation with Chuck, Shaq, Kenny, and EJ. Uh, TNT only posts their post-game sound, not their halftime stuff. So we can't play it for you. But you watched it. I watched I it, did, too. Yeah. I had it on in the background. It was a very compelling conversation and it was a, it was about the Clippers and in particular it was about the Clippers and whether they're a real threat to go deep in the Western Conference playoffs or are they a team that's going to last one round and be done and, and how fascinating conversation. a lot of the guys on the panel could see the Clippers in either spot right mm-hmm. like as a team to fear and as a team that might be one and done when it's all said and done yeah it's just, it, it, I thought about it quite a bit because that's what they said it's like you know the, the Clippers is, they're a hard team to figure out. They could get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs, or they could end up in the Western Conference Finals with a chance to win it. So, like, you know, which one is it? And I thought to myself, how many other teams are like that? How many other teams are in that same boat where you can say, okay, this team could get, can Sacramento get knocked out in the first round? Yes. But I don't think they can make the Western Conference Finals. Even if they won a round, I don't think they're good enough to win two. No. How about Dallas? I think Dallas could definitely get knocked off in the first round. Could they make it to the Western Conference Finals? I think they potentially could, yes. Okay. Memphis? I I think Memphis fits in that category. You think so? See, I don't... God, they're so damn talented. I, I, oh, wait, wait, which category? The knocked off in the first round or the... Like that category of they could get knocked off in the first round or end up winning two rounds and get into the conference finals. I, I, I wouldn't put Memphis in the they could get knocked off in the first round category. Okay. I, I, that's just me. I, I don't, I don't think they're vulnerable like that. Oh, absolutely. Lakers. 100%. I, it's what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. Grizzlies, Jazz. Um, I mentioned Memphis already. You How did. about the Nuggets? The Nuggets... No, no, they're gonna win around. Too much talent. They're gonna they're win gonna around. They're gonna win around. They're gonna win around. They're gonna win around. Mm-hmm. So, Suns? no, the Suns are too much talent to lose in the first round. There's no way they lose in the first round. I tend to agree. Unless there's no way. Let's, and we're assuming health. We're assuming everyone's available. We're assuming everybody can play. I, I know we probably shouldn't assume that because we don't know. But let's for the purposes of this conversation, let's let's assume health. I don't think the Suns can lose in the first round. I don't the think only thing you the think, Nuggets can lose in the yeah. first round. The only thing is crazy is look at the teams that are in that 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 category. Look at the teams that you could possibly play in the first round. Like there's some there's some good teams there. Like so you you may end up with a like kind of like an unfavorable Matchup, and that could be one of the reasons why you can make an argument that some of these teams could go down in the first round. So let's okay. So let's say the Suns, right. for example, move up to number three, okay, which is where we think they're going to be. Um, right now, the six seed that would be your first round matchup if the Suns do move up to three. Right now, the six seed would be the Dallas Mavericks. Okay, okay. If it's not them, it could be potentially be the Pelicans. Of course, the big question there is going to be Zion. Is he healthy? How you know how much experience and time has that group gotten together as a team? Zion and Brandon Ingram, they haven't been on the floor together a whole lot, hardly at all this season. That might be a factor come playoff time. Minnesota, I have no fear of Minnesota whatsoever. No, but None. Golden State would come out of that play, 
play. They, Golden State would come out of the play-in. Golden State potentially huh? could be a very frightening team to play yeah, in the first round. I think they could come out of the play-in. And yeah, so can Golden State beat the Denver Nuggets? Could they? Yeah, I mean, it could. But, but, that's, but then the Nuggets are I, in that I, category of you could get knocked out in the first round or you could make it to the Western well, Conference. Okay, well, like, then, my point is that what they were saying applies to like five teams. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, if okay, but based off of what you're saying, it 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 sounds like you're making an argument that it's more about the bottom of the West than it is about the top. That the bottom of the West is so unpredictable because what's going to be New Orleans status? What's going to be Golden State status? Like if Golden State is completely, fully healthy and firing on all cylinders, they're a threat to everybody. From the they're the defending NBA everybody. champ, everybody, including the Phoenix Suns, I and they don't add. care about the regular season. They're they never a, have. They're a threat. To, so to me, this whole conversation is based less off of how invulnerable are the teams are at the top, and really how dangerous. It's more about how dangerous are the teams at the bottom. That's what this whole conversation is about. And for me, okay, there's two teams down there that would scare the bejesus out of me. One is Golden State, and two is a fully healthy New Orleans Pelicans team. Those two teams coming out of the bottom of the West would be like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to meet those. Because fully healthy New Orleans, if they get their act together, that could be a scary bunch to play, man. So right now, your your, your 1-8 could be Denver and Golden State. Mm-hmm. That could be your 1-8. And then your 2-7 could be, let's just say it's Memphis against New Orleans. Any, like anybody could win that. Yeah. Okay. Let's go three six. Sacramento, Dallas, and then four five is the Clippers and the Suns. Like I don't think the Suns could lose in the first round, but man, like I don't like I'd rather not play the Clippers. The Clippers are in that okay in that mix right there, right? The teams that you just mentioned, the the, the Kings, the Mavs, and the Clippers. All right, if if those if if three, four, five, and six stay the same, I don't know what the order is going to be, but if those four teams stay the same, I'll tell you right now, the LA Clippers are the last team I want to face on that right. list. Mm-hmm. Sacramento's first. Give me Sacramento every day that ends in Y. I got no problem with that. Dallas would be second because I just don't think that's going to work with Kyrie and Luca. Then there's like 50 feet, and then there's the LA Clippers. The LA Clippers, I think, are going to be a very dangerous team come postseason. Very dangerous. And we look, they beat the Suns last night. Kawhi Leonard was what one for his first eleven. He didn't get his first basket to lower under four minutes left in the third quarter. He didn't even play that uh, well offensively. Oh, and they Mann still was got great. The, the but then done. you know, Plumlee helps them. Bones Highland helps them. Mm-hmm. Like if they get Russell Westbrook, they've got a scorer. They've got a scorer mm-hmm. capable of a triple double. And they get Eric Gordon helped them off the bench. Those three guys, all three newcomers to the Clippers, yeah. combined for like twenty eight points, eleven rebounds, ten assists. They were all really good off the bench. Combined the three of them. I, I just it's and you know what it is. It's just like the the Kawhi Leonard pedigree, all right? I mean, like, we talk about Durant all the time. Oh, he's a two-time finals MVP, and he's a league MVP, and he's won two rings. Look at Kawhi. He's, a, he's got he's, basically the yeah. same damn resume, right? And if he's healthy, and he's good to go, and he's got a running mate in Paul George, and they add Westbrook, and they got those, I'm just saying that's a team that could be a very tough out because they will defend. Kawhi Leonard is the best two-way player on the planet when he's fully healthy. I want nothing to do with the LA Clippers in the first round. Nothing. So, you know what? To answer your question, the Suns are probably in that category too. Depending on the matchup, depending on who they play in the first round, could this they lose in the first round? Would lose their mind. Sure would. They'd lose their mind. 
You know, if you had to wait another year, something happened, bad yeah. matchup in the first round. Well, and didn't even, as part of that halftime discussion, didn't even Barkley say something like, man, the West is just... Um, it's it's a it's a gauntlet. It's a mess. It's so di- the East is so different because the East is so top heavy. It's Boston. It's Milwaukee. It's Philly. Right? Like nobody nobody is gonna. If you're in the East, what you want to do is be the team that doesn't have to play two of those other teams. Right? Be the team that only has to play one of the other teams. The West. One through eight, one through ten, depending on who's healthy, depending on who's available, who's not. It's a friggin' gauntlet, man. Any, yeah. Almost anything can happen, and it wouldn't be that surprising to see it go down. If the Suns somehow weren't able to, it would, it would remind me a little bit of like when the Diamondbacks went all in to get Kurt Schilling, mm-hmm. and then they didn't make the playoffs that year, right? They did not make the playoffs. Not in 2000, they didn't. And nope. then they won it all the next year. But they got Schilling to kind of get them over the hump, uh-huh. but they didn't get over the hump. I'm looking at it now. They went 85 and 77, didn't make the playoffs, and then the next year they came back and they won it. I give you, you know, the Suns would still be a threat to win it next year. My point wasn't whether the Suns are going to get knocked out in the first round or not. It was that they were making the argument that the Clippers could be uh, a first round oust. They could be ousted in the first round or they could be in the Western Conference Finals. Man, I could say the same thing about you could probably say the same thing about every team. Probably could, depending on the matchup. Yeah, You could probably say the same thing about every team. Now, part of it could be their, their health and weaknesses. And then the other part could be the bottom of the bracket that you might have to face the Warriors in the first round. Like it's so. I think what they were saying last night, like, oh, wow, okay, the Clippers could be one and done or go go to the... But, yeah, five teams in the in the West, six teams in the West are in the same boat. Yeah, and I do think there are a few teams in the West that I just don't think can win the West. I don't think Sacramento can win the West. No. I'll be honest with you, I don't think Memphis can win the West. I don't think so either. I don't think Memphis can win the West. I, I, I think the Clippers could. I think the Nuggets could. I think the Suns could. I think a fully healthy, engaged Warriors team could. I, look, I tell you, the team that we've, we haven't talked about because they're still, what, two games out of the last playing spot. If the Lakers can keep AD healthy and, and have him highly productive, they'll make the playoffs. That could be a team that would be a very difficult out in the first round given the changes they've made you know, with it, with the additions they've made, as long as Anthony Davis is healthy, I could see that team being a very tough out in the first round. Very tough. They'll get in. What, what, how many games are they behind Oklahoma City right uh, now? Two. Two you games. Know, and there are two teams in front of them, too. I mean, right yeah. now they're running 11-12, 13th in the West. So they'd have to jump Portland. They'd have to jump Utah. They'd have to jump Oklahoma City for the 10th spot. Yeah. I think they'll get in. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a mess. Well, we got to hear from the Cardinals' new head coach yesterday. What do we need to know about him going forward since he's the guy? We'll tell you next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo afternoons two till six on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Just coming down, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network. The Washington Commanders and Eric Bieniemy agree to terms on a multi-year deal as their assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. Kansas City wanted him back. Bieniemy got an upgraded title, a chance to build his staff, and a big commitment. 
So Eric Bieniemy is headed to the nation's capital to be the OC and assistant head coach of the Washington Commanders, which then, again, Gambo kind of makes me wonder if that's part of the method to the madness for the Cardinals interviewing all these guys for offensive coordinator, one of whom is the wide receivers coach in the Commanders. Maybe the Cardinals don't want him to be their OC. Maybe they're thinking they can pluck him off that staff since Bieniemy might want to bring in his own guys there. Yeah, possible. And Bieniemy's listen, Bieniemy's been, pre- been preparing to be a head coach for a long time and just keeps getting passed over for jobs. And it's a shame because I do think the guy'd be a hell of a, a coach. I mean, coming from that Andy Reid tree, we know the Andy Reid tree is good for some reason because he doesn't call plays. He hasn't called the plays and Reid does. He's kind of been bypassed for the job. I think it's a shame. Hopefully this is the right move for him. I got to get a, you know, break away from Andy Reid, do a good job with Washington and you can end up being a head coach. Yeah. Now Drew Terrell is the commander's wide receivers coach. He's one of four guys that have been kind of publicly named as coaches. The Cardinals want to talk to about the OC job. Everyone expects Drew Petzing to get the job. He's the quarterback's coach for Cleveland. And it just has me wonder if they're talking to Terrell, not to be OC, but thinking that once they hire Biennemi, maybe he becomes available. We'll see. Yesterday um, was a big day, obviously, for the organization. It was a big day here at the station. We had so much stuff to talk about. And we're now kind of just sifting through the aftermath a little bit, if you will, of Jonathan Gannon and his choice as the new head coach of the Cardinals and starting to get to know him a little bit. Doug Howler, who always does a really good job for the athletic, uh, he had a great piece about Kevin Durant as well. He was busy yesterday, too. Um, Wrote a real good story over the last couple of days about Jonathan Gannon Mm -hmm. and and the four things that you need to know about Gannon. And and I'll tell you right now, the one thing, and I don't know if you wanted to lead with this or not, but the one thing I found the most interesting was the parallels he drew between Jonathan Gannon and Mike Tomlin. Looking at their resumes and kind of comparing the two and saying it's it's a very now he's not saying that he's going to have the success Tomlin had, but in terms of what they did up until this point, their rosters, their resumes are very very similar. Yeah, one of the things he pointed out, he said the, the most important thing, Gaddon was in the NFL at age twenty four. So, you know, you look at his trajectory, he's 40 years old, but he's been in the league for 15 years. He's the seventh youngest head coach, but he's got 15 years of experience. And only the last two years did he get to run his own defense. But it talked about his, you know, plan was to play football, a serious hip injury, suffered while, you know, University of Louisville derailed him. And then, you know, got on with Bobby Petrino and, you know, coached with him, student assistant and defensive graduate assistant. And he followed him to the Falcons and and he stayed in the NFL ever since that time. Even after Petrino left, you know, he stayed in the NFL and it just continued this trajectory to where he is right now. Learned under Mike Zimmer, whose name's come up quite a bit here, and then obviously got the job in Philadelphia and uh, and look where he is now. Now he's a head coach. So I really liked, you know, that point of it with all that experience. A much different than Cliff, who has experience in college, but yeah. no experience in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, look, I get it. I wanted a coach who had previous head coaching experience in the NFL. I know you did too. And I preferred it. It wasn't a ne- it wasn't necessity. I, I, I mean, I preferred. It. I strongly preferred it. I really, really wanted it, and that to me is the one knock against Gannon. But I will say this to your point about Cliff. Yeah, Gannon's a first time NFL head coach. He is so not Cliff Kingsbury in that regard for the reason that you just said. Cliff Kingsbury, mostly a college coach, frankly, not a tremendously successful college coach. Came in here because he was this offensive guru, but not because of any success he had had anywhere else. What I think is very different about Gannon, and to be perfectly honest, kind of reminds me a little more of Bruce Arians than anything else. He's an NFL lifer. Now, he wasn't as old as B.A. was when B.A. got the Cardinals job, but B.A. had 
had a similar resume in that he had been in the NFL forever, yeah. right? Forever. Without getting a head coaching job. Without getting a head coaching job. The only shot he got was when Pagano got, got sick. sick. I, I, I think I think Gannon profiles a little more towards Bruce than he does towards Cliff just because of the amount of time that he spent in the National Football League. It might not be experienced being a head coach, but I do think that time spent matters and gives him a big advantage over Cliff in that regard. Yeah, I thought so, too. I mean, it, it, there was a lot of good things in Doug's column that he, that he picked out, you know, about him. One of the things that I liked is because, you know, we talked about how he wasn't loved in Philly. The Philly fans didn't like him and some of the talk shows, people they were... They weren't really fond of him, but it points out when the Eagles started two and five in 2021, it was two and five, giving up 40 plus points in back to back games. He wasn't doing very well. And the Philadelphia Daily News criticized him. Gannon wouldn't blitz again. His safeties lined up behind the back judge again. His defensive linemen didn't lay a pour on the quarterbacks again. And they were just really ripping him for all the points they were giving up, the bad start. But they said he changed. Like the Eagles played a zone based scheme, they blitzed on him. About 15% of the plays in a win over uh, Detroit. Then they, they played more man coverage and attacked the quarterback. And So it really just talks about how, like, okay, he learned from those early games and then he made changes, which is, which when I read that, it kind of pointed me to his conversation about we're adaptable. We're going to change week to week. Because he may have came in as a first year defensive coordinator and said, here's, what, here's my system. Here's what's going to work. And then at two and five and he's giving up 40 points again, this ain't going to work. Mm-hmm. I better adapt. Or I'm going to be out of here. I'm going to get fired. So he did. He adapted. He changed everything. And that's why I liked his point yesterday about week to week, depending on the opponent we're going to play, we're going to, we're going to change things up. If we're playing a really mobile quarterback, we'll play one way. If we're playing a statue, we'll play another way. If we're playing a team with big receivers or a team with great running backs or teams with great tight ends, it all depend on what we're playing as to what how we're going to adjust. And that, again, much like the first point you brought up, is the anti-cliff. Right, it's uh, Cliff couldn't change. Cliff didn't change. Cliff, nothing seemingly changed about Cliff's offense that much. Now he lost a bunch of guys this year because of injury, and certainly that that's got its place in it. But in terms of his adaptability, that was the one. Look, there were a lot of knocks on Cliff, but one of the biggest knocks on Cliff from the coaching community was once you figure him out, you've got him. Yeah. Once you figure, once you figure out a counter punch to his punch. He's not going to counter that with anything else. He's just going to keep trying to do the same thing he's been doing before. He doesn't change. He doesn't adapt. Seeing that Gannon changed, seeing that Gannon adapted, hearing Gannon's words yesterday, I what did he say? I, I famously said, I don't have a scheme, and I mean it. I don't have a scheme. I don't want to have a scheme. We adapt, we evolve, we change. That, to me, is very anti-Cliff, because I think Cliff really struggled to change. And I think the league knew but, that Cliff struggled to change. Hassan Reddick loved him. He said he brings a lot of youth, energy, intelligence. He's just a great character all around. Getting to know Gannon this year, I told him I appreciate him. I love him because he lets his players be who they are. At the end of the day, if he decides to leave, whoever is getting him, I think they have a great head coach, someone the players will really take to. That was Hassan Reddick right before he got hired, talking about like how much he liked playing for him. So, you know, he, that's why they said he's got the it factor in the Doug Tyler column. Like, he's got this it factor. He's incredible, and the players really like him. Look, the players really liked Cliff, but I think there was an it factor that was it there. <laughs> you know, like I do. I think the players like Cliff. Hey, what do you think of Cliff? Nobody's like, Cliff's a jerk. They liked Cliff. They did. And they liked Gannon. But the difference is the it factor. The difference is that Gannon, you know, appears to be, you know, listen, and, and, and Bickley brought up a good point this morning and it made me think he, and he said this, and I related it to Cliff. I don't know if he did, but Bickley brought up like, he was really 
well spoken throughout his press conference. He didn't, you know, he didn't pause. He didn't say, um, and I'm thinking to myself, man, that's all Cliff did in press conferences. <laughs> um, um, like he would always like try to have to think about what he was going to say. You know, maybe that's why play calls got in so late all the time. But like with Cliff, it was a lot of that. There was a lot of the, um, you know, with, with Gadden, it was pretty clear. And, you know, when he, when somebody asked him a question, he had an answer and he didn't, there weren't any, you know, long pause where you had to kind of think about it. He knew what he was going to say. Look, in the very best days of this organization back in the early days of Bruce and Steve and Michael, and we're going back a few years now, remember what they always used to say about those three guys. They all stayed in their lane, right? They, they all understood their lane. They all stayed in their lane. I really felt like the last couple of years of Cliff, there were no lanes anymore. Everybody was driving in everybody's lane. Everybody was, nobody really knew where the lanes were or where the designated you know, I'm supposed to drive here. I I think, I hope, maybe I hope is the better way of putting it. I hope with a new GM and a new head coach that we're getting back into that kind of stay in your lane mentality that really kind of defined early Bruce and yeah. early Steve and early Michael, right? Like on the GM, you're the coach. Whereas it felt like with Cliff, some of those ums and some of those uhs were a large part because Steve Kime basically built a staff for him, right? Like in the disconnect between the front office and the coach, they were never on the same page. It felt like with players or development, that all needed a change. That all had to go away. So I'm hoping that there's a little more lane driving with this this trio than there was the last couple of years with Cliff and Steve and Michael. Yeah, that would be that would be ideal, and I would expect that there would be because I do like think with Cliff it was it, it was it was kind of varied week by week, and with Gadden, I think he's going to be steady. I do think he'll be steady. I think he knows what he wants to do. He may be adaptable with game plans week to week, but I think those four pillars of success that he talked about that's what's going to guide him through. You can text us your thoughts when it comes to Jonathan Gannon, whether. You you like it, whether you don't, the FanDuel text line, it's there and open for you at 620-620 right now. So the NBA's on All-Star break gives the league's commissioner a chance to speak, and you better believe he was asked about superstars asking for trades. You'll hear what he said next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo, afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. So we're at the All-Star break in the NBA, and the Suns won't play for another week or so. We presume when they come back, Kevin Durant is going to be available to play, so much so that ESPN was reading uh, Dwayne Rankin's work today on AZ Central. ESPN picked up the Oklahoma City game next Friday uh, in order to show a national TV audience what we presume to be Kevin Durant's Anticipation. Uh, yeah. It's making me wait. The waiting is the hardest part. Tom Petty was not wrong. So in the meantime, we've got an NBA All-Star break without any Suns at all, except for I think Saban Lee is playing in like a Futures game. Other than that, there are no Suns being represented. But you do have a chance, if you're the league, to kind of hit pause and reflect a little bit. Now, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, was uh, with Sage Steele yesterday on ESPN. And he was asked about... The high amount of trade demands across the league. Now, this obviously plays right into what happened with the Suns because they benefited.
benefited from that. Here's what Adam Silver said about trade demand. It's not a new issue. I think it gets um, uh, there's more attention focused on it than ever before because of all the, the, the fishbowl effect of social media and the opportunity for every single comment to be magnified in incredible ways. So, I mean, it, again, you can go back to the earliest days of this league, guys that demanded trades. Having said that, of course you want players to honor their contracts. You want the extent that, that there's always going to be discussions that go on behind scenes, uh, behind the scenes between players and management about whether it's the right situation for them. But you never want to get to the point where a player's literally demanding that he goes somewhere else. Here's one more from Adam Silver. A certain amount of player movement. Now, not focusing about uh, on demands, but, you know, in, in this, this year, for example, in the week leading up to the tread, trade deadline, something like, like 12% of the league changed teams. And that's something thing that we were intentional about because we shortened contracts. Um, we, we recognize that that ability for teams to rebuild for now, it's not just about players, but for teams um, to make changes in direction, that that's healthy around the league. So again, it's about finding the right balance around player movement, but but trade player trade demands are a bad thing. We don't want them to happen. Yeah. And we got to focus and we got to focus on that and make sure that that everyone is honoring their agreements. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't know how you can you you can dictate that. This league is run by the superstars. If mm-hmm. a superstar wants out, he's going to get out. There's nothing Adam so we want them not in there. Of course you do. Of course you do. You don't want these guys bailing. But in the in an era of super teams, look, you know, you take Mikhail Bridges can't demand where he's going to go. Cam Johnson can't demand where he's going to go. Of course not. But this league is driven by 10 to 15 superstars, and those guys will always be able to dictate where they go. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm, and I didn't mean to cut you off. What I was going to say, I don't even know if I completely believe Adam Silver when he says that they're, that it's a bad thing. I, I mean, think about... the. Base interest in the Suns now? The trade deadline and the interest going into the trade deadline short-circuited the NFL during Super Bowl week for about 72 hours, right? And not just here in Phoenix, but around the whole NBA. Where is this guy going to go? Where is that guy going to go? That's a who's really trade, good point. Who's trading this guy? You're going to tell me you're Adam Silver? You really think that's a bad thing? You don't want that? You, don't want, you really don't want you that? You generated more po- positive... Um, uh, media coverage than the Super Bowl at times mm-hmm. during that stretch you don't with what that? was going on. I, I mean, you, you, you're going to tell me it bothered you that you took some of the attention away right. from the net. The that same, Kyrie went to Dallas. Yes, the same National Football League that if we're being honest about it on Christmas Day, ratings-wise, they kicked your butt. I mean, the NFL destroyed the NBA ratings-wise with, with the Christmas games that the NFL had on versus the NBA games that they had on. The NFL won, in a, as the NFL usually does when they're going head-to-head against the NBA. That's nothing new. But for a two- or three-day stretch, the NBA had was generating more headlines, more interest. Now, it's easy for us to say that here in Phoenix because we were thinking about you know what's coming to the Suns and what's going to happen. But I don't think that was just here in Phoenix. But it wasn't. They I think gen- it was around the NBA, too. But I don't think they generated a lot of interest because Jakob Portal ended up with Toronto. It was because no. of the, the big names. Kyrie. Kyrie, KD. KD yeah. the big, those were the big names. Like yeah. You had one of the big, one of the greatest players in the history of you know going to an organization that's never won a championship the before. trade with Westbrook and D'Angelo Russell and, and I mean, stars. Well, because, because, but, but the Lakers are the star. 
It was at the what the Lakers sure. did because they're the Lakers because there's still LeBron there. And, you know, that was LeBron at that point was passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to become the all-time scoring leader. Like, so there was the, the Lakers by themselves, if they do something, it generates interest. Not, not like the Toronto Raptors doing something. No, like if the fair. Celtics did something, the Celtics generate interest. Um, like, I don't know that Jay Crowder to Milwaukee got a whole lot of play. But I think, but because Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, controversial figures with the Brooklyn Nets for like those two guys moving, one going to Dallas to play for Jason Kidd to play with Luca, and then KD coming to play with Booker and Chris Paul. Yeah, I mean it did. It did for for a moment. It it gave you a counter to what the NFL had going on Super Bowl week. And and, and to your point. Since only the very top, what, 2%, 3% of the NBA has the kind of power to demand trades anyway, those are the players that we're the most interested in. Kyrie Irving demands a trade. Where is he going to go? Kevin Durant wants out. Where is he going to go, right? The Suns are going to get Kevin Durant. How you, it's, there's, those are the players that get the clicks. Those are the players that get the headlines. I understand. Look, Adam Silver can't come out and say, oh, yeah, this is great. We love it when players don't honor their contract. He can't say that. He, he's got to... And I'm not trying to call him a liar necessarily, but I think he's saying what needs to be said while also conveniently ignoring the real truth of the matter is. And the real truth of the matter is, is that an NBA trade deadline in which stars get moved, that's a big deal in this league. That's a, that's an interest generator. That's a click generator. That's an eyeball generator. That's the thing that gets your league noticed. It, it gets you co-headlines. It, it Absolutely. It gets you co-headlines. Like you co-headline with the NFL in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're not the, you know, you're not hidden on the page seven of the sports section. Like, that's a co-headline that's, thing. That's a big deal. What's going on? Uh, Kevin Durant just got just got traded, and there's a Super Bowl going, like, together. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I don't think that Adam, so listen, he's got to say that, oh, I don't want players asking for trades. I don't want players demanding trades. And most players don't. And most players, uh, Jay Crowder sat and rotted for how long? Yeah. He wanted a trade. Did he, he get traded? Well, it's because he didn't have the juice to get he's traded. Jay Crowder. He's, he's not like, Kevin Durant. He's not Kyrie Irving. No he doesn't have that kind of juice. Nobody wanted to give up anything. He's got a bunch of second round picks for Jay Crowder. Second round picks. Couldn't even get a first round pick for him. So he doesn't, you know, he wants to trade, but he can't get traded. Kevin Durant wants to trade. He's traded the next day. Kyrie Irving wants to trade. He's traded the next day. This is a star driven league, my friend. The stars control it. You know, that's what it is. It's always going to be that way. It's not like there's 50 stars though. There's 15 stars. Yeah. Okay. Those players will always dictate what's going on in this league. And nothing is, you can shorten the contracts. You can do, you can put all these mechanisms in place to protect yourself from that. It's never going to change. When we come back, great win for the Coyotes on Wednesday, our weekly visit with their general manager, Bill Armstrong is next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Back here with you on the Burns and Gambo Show. We're on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. We're live from the Auction Community Studios on this Friday afternoon. It's been a busy week. Yesterday was an incredibly busy day with Jonathan Gannon introductory press conference with the Kevin Durant introductory press conference. So we do appreciate the Coyotes and their flexibility in moving some stuff around. Arizona Arizona Sports. Burns and Gambo talk with a decision maker from the Coyotes front office. Brought to you by Midwestern University Clinics in Glendale. Faculty and graduate student-led comprehensive health care. Visit MWUClinics.com to schedule an appointment. 
Normally we talk Coyotes hockey with one of their front office types on Thursday, but we uh, rearranged some things this week, and for that we are grateful to their general manager, Bill Armstrong. He joins us here on the Burns and Gambo Show. How are you doing today, Bill? I'm doing great, guys. How are you doing? Let, let's talk some goaltending. You ready? I'm not talking uh, Rosie Vachon <laughs> and Billy Smith and Bernie yeah. Perrant. Uh, let, let's talk some Coyotes goaltending. Tell me a little bit about yeah. about Connor Ingram. You guys have done a great job of identifying goaltending, developing goaltending. That performance the other day was uh, was was really special. Tell me what the ceiling is for Connor Ingram. It, 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 first of all, let's, let's, do, let's go through some numbers. So, so um, they've been doing basically uh, the new wave analytics you know, for goaltenders, you know, to get away from, you know, save percentage and goals against. And it, uh, it's a formula that they use. And he tracked in the best goaltender performance by any goaltender in the NHL in the last seven years for that performance. That's that's how good he was in that game. Probably the best goaltending performance I've seen. And the goal that he let in in the shootout, he actually stopped it with his shoulder and jumped up in the air and went behind him. Uh, but just a remarkable performance. Uh, I, I guess, you know, when you when you look at goal, goal, goalies are really tough, you know. You never know the full potential sometimes. Sometimes they can surprise you uh, or underwhelm you. Uh, but with Connor, he's always had talent going way back to his junior years. Um, and everybody's seen the talent. It's taken a while to come out, and it's almost like, Right around that age of 25, which he is, and and now he's starting to dig in. He's 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 really worked hard since he's been here to lose weight, uh, get into it. And our goaltender coach Corey Schwab has done an unbelievable uh, job with him just to get him to uh, to a new level. Yeah, I remember Corey with the uh, with the Devils as a player, and I'll talk about him in a second. But I just want to go back. Like you, you, you identified him. You, you claimed him off of waivers from Nashville. What was it at that point that you know? Uh, did you did you ha- did you feel like he could reach this potential when you claimed him off waivers? Well, yeah, I mean, we did. I mean, you you, you said it right. We we go through it pretty hard because we we just got at our goaltending, and we had good goaltenders, you know, from Ranta, you know, from Hill um, to Kemper, um, and also Wedgwood. We we moved them all along, um, so we we really had to dig deep, and we were uh, we hunted for Vegmalka. We got him, and then you know we hunt every year on waivers to see what we can do. And he was our guy. We just waited for him to come up, and we you know we kind of timed it because we knew that. Um, they, they had to make a decision on a goaltender in Nashville, and we knew he could he could have a chance to be special. Um, and so, you know, our goaltending department's done a nice job on that. In, in looking at your game's past and just looking at the schedule over the last month, over the last two, it's got an every-other-game kind of feel to it when you're talking about Ingram or Veg. Is, is that kind of the plan the rest of the season for you, or do you feel like you'll, you'll go more with one? One down the stretch the rest of the way. No, I, I think they'll spread the, the workload. We're, it's going to be a busy uh, last half of the, of the year, and uh, it's it's. So I, I think for us, you know, once you get into that, you know, it's good to alternate your goaltenders. It avoids injury, and it, and it gives them a chance to kind of get refreshed and get in the net and give great performances. So um, we'll look to do that unless something changes uh, along the way. But for the most part, they'll get equal workload, and they both really responded. Bill Armstrong, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Since you brought it up, I'm curious. I don't think I've ever asked you this before. Are you more traditional-based when it comes to your scouting and the work you do, or do you lean on the analytics since you referenced them a moment ago? 
Uh, I'm a big information guy. Uh, I've never bought into one source, uh, not just your eyes. You got to check the stats and you got to do the research behind the scenes. And, you know, it's every form of, uh, you know, it's, it's also the psych doctors that give you information on what type of personalities are in their head. And, I, and I, we never lean towards one too much, but we take all that information and use it to make the best decision possible. So I've never really bought into the field like it's all analytical based. It's, you know, it's not. It's, it's scouting based. It's, it's the information you acquire. Um, you know, work ethic that they have, you have to find out all that kind of stuff. So I'm a big believer in information and processing that the right way. Now that you've got two goaltenders, uh, obviously Vishmelka is a, a number one and, and Ingram, but obviously the potential to be a number one with the job that Corey's done and your, your, your scouting department identifying him. I would imagine you're going to get calls and, you know, we could talk about Jacob Chikrin, but I imagine you're going to get calls on goaltending too. So, you know, how do you, when you've got two guys that are potential number ones, I mean, it, you know, it's wise to move one of them. Is it, is this something, do you, do you expect that you'll field a lot of calls on, on your goaltenders? Well, I, I think you do because I, I think last year at this time we did on Wedgwood too. I mean, there's always people looking for goaltending. You know, goaltending helps keep a GM young because if you have good goaltending, you sleep well at night. Like if you look at Lou Lamorello, he's like 108 and he looks like 60 because he had Marty Berger for yeah. 20 years. Lou went to bed and Marty's got this. This is going to be, this is an easy day. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, That's it's so funny. Like, <laughs> No, that's true. Let's 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 talk about the reassigning uh, Dyson Mayo to to the AHL. You guys have yeah. you've had a lot of healthy defensemen. You know, Tarigny's playing six or seven guys. He clearly you signed him to a three year deal, but a little bit of a step backwards this year. Tell me the decision to send him to the AHL. Well, you know, it's 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 one of those things where you've had really you know quality players come up. You know, or we pick the Bellamakiak waivers, or Nemes comes into the organization, or Stetcher, and you know he just had a tough start, and, and you know he never got traction up here, and we ended up putting him down in the minors, and uh, he played well when he was in, and he's got to look for that opportunity again to kind of get some traction up top. But you know we've you know we've also had a jump, you know Moser, and you've got you know Soderstrom has played really really well in these, in these first two games with our team this year. He's made big strides for us. So everybody, that talent level keeps rising in Bellamacchi. You know, he's playing for of 23 minutes a night in there now, and his game is taken to a new level too. So, you know, obviously there's a challenge in there. There's competition for a job, and, you know, Dice got off to a slow start, and uh, he hasn't got a lot of traction, but he's played better in the minors, and he's, he keeps coming, and he'll get another opportunity in, this, you know, the last half of the season to come up and show what he can do again. Bill Armstrong, our guest on the Burns and Gambo show, the Coyotes general manager for his weekly visit here on Burns and Gambo. You're on a seven-game point streak right now. That's the longest for the organization since the 2015-2016 season. And, and you might be getting wow. Gospahair back. How? What's the? What are we looking at it for a timetable for him? Because I understand he was the morning skate a couple days ago, right? Yeah, I know he shot about a thousand bucks the other day, so he looked pretty good to me. <laughs> uh, he's going to have a chance to go in and play against Columbus uh, when we our first home game coming back uh, after we play L.A. So he'll have a chance to come back in. I know he's chomping at the bit to get back in, too. So um, it, it's it's really healthy to have guys. You know, we've, we've got a good bunch of guys that try to remind, uh, you know, like we are in a rebuild, but we seem to be beating teams at home, and there's a little mullet magic 
Um, it's just a great barn to play out of. I think our guys really enjoy it, and I think we surprise teams in there. So it's uh, it's been great uh, for our guys just to see them compete against the big teams and, and have success. You mentioned Brodeur earlier, so I'm just gonna I, I'm gonna just go with this because you know what I I remember about Corey Schwab is and and not with Tampa Bay, but I kind of remember him as a backup goalie with, with New Jersey. You know, having a guy like that as your goalie coach who you know did get a chance to spend a few years with a guy like Martin Brodeur. How much do you think that helps him oh it does i mean he, he he's, a, he's a student of the game i, I think schwabi's greatest um, skill is that he takes a goaltender and molds him for who he is he doesn't try to change him and make him some somebody else he molds him to the potential that that goaltender has within the style that he has and um, maybe maybe learn that from Marty. I, I got a great story about Marty. I got a chance to work with him, and we were going into these meetings, and I said, Marty, I'm going to turn this over to the gold. You know, you to talk to the gold center in this meeting, and, and the kicker gold center was Jake Allen. So we get into the meeting, and I said, Marty, are you prepared to get everything? He goes, yeah. I go, you know, he didn't play very well. You, you, you talk to him in the meeting. So the meeting goes along, and, and Marty doesn't say anything. And so the meeting ends, and I go, Marty, you didn't say anything to him. He goes, ah, Army, you got to watch. You say the wrong thing to a goaltender, they can be bad for like two years. <laughs> <laughs> he should have never played in St. Louis. He should have retired a uh, devil. He should have never played for the Blues. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. That's good stuff. Uh, spoken, like a, spoken like a true devil's fan. Yeah. Uh, no about it. All right, Bill. Uh, we appreciate the time, as always, uh, as you guys are in Los Angeles taking on the Kings tomorrow night. We appreciate the time. Best of luck. We'll talk to you in a week or so, okay? Okay, thanks, guys. You take care. You got it. Thanks, Bill. Bill Armstrong joining us here on the Burns and Gambo Show and the Arizona Sports Line. The Innings Festival is back. Two-day music festival. It's featuring Green Day and Eddie Vedder, Weezer, The Offspring, all at Tempe Beach Park on February 25th and 26th. Head to the contest page at ArizonaSports.com for complete details and your chance to win tickets. As we await new coaches joining the Cardinals, it means former coaches are on their way out. Another Another member of Cliff's staff will not return. Word just came down. We'll tell you who it is next. Burns and Gambo.